Hey, this is Liberty DeVito, and you're listening to the Fab Four Free For All. And welcome to another edition of the Fab Four Free For All. Uh, we have become weekly again, I guess, or mm. monthly or yearly, whatever we are at the moment. Um, but I am your moderator for this episode, Mitch Axelrod. The episode's not called Mitch Axelrod. I'm your moderator, Mitch Axelrod. Uh, the episode is going to be fun, but joining me before uh, we discuss why the episode is going to be so fun is Rob Leonard. Hello, how you doing? And Tony Chiguardo. Hiya, folks. And for those of you who are listening uh, and not seeing this, we actually have a guest tonight. There's a... Uh, three squares usually there's three but rob and i are on one uh for technical reasons but our very special guest tonight is paul saltzman he is the author of many books on the beatles uh, his experience with the beatles in india and uh he is the writer producer director of the brand new film called meeting the beatles in india welcome paul to the fab four free for all Thank you very, very much. It's a blast to have you. I mean, we've we've known you for so long. We've been to your uh, discussions at Monmouth and uh, everywhere else. And it's uh, your books are amazing. And we're going to talk to uh, people about how to get the books and how to get the tickets to this new movie uh, after we discuss it. But um, so you've got this new movie coming out. Um, When you... People should know that you spent time in India, and we'll get into it, but you went for reasons other than the Beatles, and you happened to stumble upon the greatest group in the whole world. Not arguably. Sorry, I can't help it. But what was, what was going okay. on? In your, what was that? I agree with you. Oh, it's the square. Um, for those who remember the Hollywood squares, um, I'll be Charlie Weaver because I'm old. But the, uh, the experience, what was going on in your world that led you to Rishikesh? Well, the, the, the reason I went was because I woke up one morning in my little rented room in Montreal where I was working for the National Film Board of Canada, and I literally had a shocking thought, which was that there were parts of myself I didn't like, and I had never had that thought before. I don't know what led to it. I just woke up in this morning in my little rented room, and I was shocked by it and I I literally swung my legs over the edge of the bed and I said out loud without thinking that's very important you know the heart will speak to us if we shut up you know what I mean <laughs> if we want our inner voice to guide us it's there all the time we just create so much noise and distraction that it's we tend not to hear it so I wake up I turn I say out loud without thinking what do I do about this the fact that there's obvious but a bit of shock that there's parts of myself I don't like and I hear my soul talk to me for the first time and I've been brought up as an atheist there's no soul there's no spirit there's no uh, uh, God and uh, but I was brought up with the key and the key instruction do unto others as you'd have them do unto you the golden rule sure. and in a funny way if you're taught nothing else but that the world would change overnight right yeah so, so I say out loud what do I do about this and I hear this deep inner voice it is literally all calming all loving all kind i mean can you imagine what that feels like that's like whoa that's exquisite and it says back to me and i this is a word for word little transcript it says back to me well paul if you really want to look at yourself more carefully you might want to get away from the environment you grew up in 
And I say out loud without thinking this odd conversation, where do I go? And it says India. And that's the end of the conversation. The next time I heard my soul talk to me was when I sat down with the four Beatles and their friends at the table in Rishikesh. But what that did was it led me to get a job on a film board film because I didn't have enough money to buy a ticket to India. But I had heard this life-changing inner direction. And um, so I got to India to work on a film. Um, I Six weeks later, I got to New Delhi. My girlfriend and I loved each other very much, but she had said, which I didn't hear, by the way. I didn't hear it until I remembered it later. She said, if you leave, I'll make myself stop loving you. We were both in tears a lot. We both loved each other a lot, but that's what she said. So six weeks later, I'm in Delhi. I get my first letter from Trisha, my girlfriend. I'm excited as hell. And I open it, and I only remember the first line for obvious reasons. Dear Paul, I've moved in with Henry. Wow. And I was devastated. I mean, you know, it was... I, I presume each of you have probably had at least one heartbreak. Is that true? Oh, yeah. uh, at least one. At least. At least, right. I can count, you know, on seven hands how many I've had. <laughs> good. That's good. And this time, it's weird because instead well, of a five, but now it's seven. <laughs> instead of a Dear John letter, you actually got a Dear Paul letter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. Quite. So what happened was I was devastated. I was in tears. I was, I was, I felt shattered. It was really horrendous. And somebody I knew for three days in my life, Al Bragg, if Al Bragg is listening to this, there's a number of Al Braggs. I tried, I tried to find this man. I thanked him later, by the way, but not in India, but not the way I would thank him today. So I was, I've been trying to find him off and on to say, Hey, you changed my life. And what he did was, he said, why don't you try meditation for the heartbreak? And I said, I'll try anything. He said, I'm going to hear the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi at New Delhi University tonight. I didn't know who the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was. And I, he said, do you want to come? And I said, yes. We got lost on the way. By the time we got into the auditorium, it was not only jam-packed, we were literally pressed up against the back wall. And then this little odd man in flowing robes with flowers around his neck and scraggly long whitish grayish hair came in with a bunch of other westerners who were dressed in indian clothes with garlands around their neck and he goes up on stage and the westerners and maybe there were some indian devotees i'm not sure sort of formed a semicircle behind him and he started talking and i only remember one thing he said he said meditation takes you beneath and below these are word for word it's in my brain meditation takes you beneath and below your daily worries and concerns to a place of inner rejuvenation from which you come back renewed and refreshed. And I thought that's what I need. Wow. That's a home run from a yeah. standpoint of someone who's grieving, especially, or, you know, for dealing with a, a loss and heartbreak. That's the perfect yeah. words at the perfect time. Oh, there are so many blessings. See, I, I would say honestly, and of the people I know of the people I'm close with everyone, has so many blessings in their lives. The question is to notice them and to go with them. Now, it doesn't mean there isn't poverty and famine and death and, you know, demonstrations in the streets and all that. And all that is horrendous. You know, as David Lynch says in the film, you saw it. He has this beautiful last sentence of his part of the film. And he says, it's time we all just got along and zoomed off into the future as happy campers because the world has enough resources for everyone. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, I took a train to Rishikesh. It's interesting. One of the blessings is I didn't go up to anyone and say, how can I learn meditation? Because they would have said, come down to our office in Delhi and we'll teach you. Sure. You know, again, a blessing. And I don't know why, just it was. So I took a train to Rishikesh. I, I, <laughs> I noticed the sign, Rishikesh, go by the train window. It doesn't stop in Rishikesh. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Oops. And, and it was just the headspace I was in, you know. I was heavily distracted by, <clears throat> by being in suffering. So I get off at the next town, Derridun, and I take a cab back, and I find my way to the ashram, and I get to the gates of the ashram. They're locked. And as you saw in the film, they call somebody whose name was Raghavendra. Oh, he was my angel. He comes to the gate, and I say, I've come to learn meditation. And he says, I'm sorry, the ashram's closed because the Beatles and their wives are here, and we're doing a course for TM teachers. Now, I didn't know the Beatles were in India because I'd been on the road. I hadn't been reading newspapers. I didn't know they were in India. And honestly, it was not good news. Right. Like I, sure. couldn't, I couldn't get in, you know. And their music had already changed my life. Obviously, you guys wouldn't be doing what you're doing with this show if the Beatles' music hadn't changed your lives, right? Sure. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, Paul, you were a Beatles fan, but having now made that trip to India... Was there any sort of connection back to the idea that, you know, this is on the uh, shortly after Sgt. Pepper, so you had had Within You, Without You, so you had George's very big Indian piece of music on that. Before that, I know you talk about it in the film, we don't have to give too much away, that you were affected by Tomorrow Never Knows. So when, when you heard that the Beatles were there, was that some kind of an other sort of a, a moment of fate in a way? Because you were a fan, so there was a connection. Like I said, you were disappointed that you couldn't get in, but did you connect to the idea of the Beatles' Indian connection in a way? I, too, I can only tell you I was too distracted. I was too distracted by sure. uh, by the suffering, as people are with suffering. You know, yeah, I mean, of course. You know, my sweetheart Annie just had a tooth pulled. It was a difficult tooth pull. Her jaw's been hurting for 10 days, and she said, my quality of my life is different when I'm in pain, and it's true. Yeah, you know, good we're not right. Pain. Right. Right. So it wasn't, there wasn't a thought, not a single thought, oh, wow, the Beatles are here. Yeah, it was just sort of. Thought. It was like, I'm in, I'm in not good shape and I can't get in. That was the thing. Yeah. I need to be in there. It doesn't matter that they're in there. It's just, I need to be in there. Yeah. 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 Paul, um, as we were just talking at this moment, we know you, you, you have the gate and they won't let you in for eight days. I'm just thought of the fact that in the Wizard of Oz, when they go see the wizard, they first not <laughs> yeah. let into the gate. Yeah. And then they go in and they, they find out what's going on. And has anything, any of this come across you as you sort of your own travels to visit the Wizard of Oz, who would be, I guess, the uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi? The person that was going to give you some, yeah, the well, enlightenment. Yeah. No. Are you saying that he had no brain and he needed a brain? <laughs> no. <laughs> but something but, for the heart, something for the little, something for everything, really, but, a little courage, a little. But you yeah. were looking for something, and each one of those people in, in the Wizard of Oz was looking for something too. I mean, yeah. I just thought about it just seconds ago as you were talking. That's not well, even. I think that's a brilliant thought. I've never made. I've never made that connection, and now I make that connection. Thank you. Yeah, it's like. 
there's no question that it was, um, uh, you know, whether, you know, not, not on purpose, but there was an obstacle course. I mean, David Lynch, again, in the film, I just love him. He's so great. In the film, he's saying, he's saying you had to prove yourself. Now, it wasn't conscious. No one, I don't think they were testing me. I found out when I got in and when I was taught meditation and after I was taught meditation, which took on the eighth day, I waited outside eight days. But Raghvender, the man who met me at the gate, one of my joys in making this film, I have a whole lot of joys in making this film. One of them is I could use graphic novel illustration to illustrate and tell stories that are very meaningful for me, which don't have any images, any sound from the time. Right. So I could tell the story of Raghvender at the gate. And, and when he says, I'm sorry, the ashram's closed, et cetera, et cetera, he actually said, I, have to, I will ask the Maharishi. I won't be able to come back for two or three hours, but I'll send you a cup of chai. And he goes off and, and a bearer, someone from the kitchen, comes down with an incongruous white crockery tea set. You know, hot milk, sugar, chai, and I pour myself the chai, and I put a little sugar in, and I sit down, and I lean up against the gate, and I wait. And two or three hours goes by, and Raghvendra comes back. And again, very dear, he says, I'm sorry. The Maharishi says, not at the present time. Those were his exact words. And I love language so much because there's so many things in language. If we pay attention, we get road signs in our life, road signs, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what would have happened if he hadn't said not at the present time. I literally don't know. I say to him, can I wait? Because he just said not at the present time. Okay. Right. Can I wait? And he's a little taken aback and he says, Oh, okay. And he points to one of the tents. There were two tents across the dirt path under the trees. And he says, you can sleep there and we'll send you our simple vegetarian meals. This guy was an angel, an angel, right? What would have happened, Paul, if after eight days, you know, how long were you willing to wait to to be empowered by the, or to find, try to find what you were looking for from the Maharishi? I mean, how long would you have waited? Do you know? No, I have no idea. You know, I, I knew that waiting the eight days was not a pain. The pain was in the heart. It was not a pain because I was hoping that inside, in that meditation, would be the cure for the heartbreak. Yeah be the salve the bomb to put on the wound so i wasn't counting days i was just waiting you you were being fed you were safe of course you know so at least in that respect you know if anything probably the worst thing was having the the time alone to be having to dwell on what was you know where you were dealing with emotionally but at least at least you you while you until you were turned away, at least you knew that there was potentially light at the end of that tunnel. Exactly. So that's, yeah. So that's, that's you, you got in, and let's get to, you know, actually meeting the Beatles. Um, and we have a clip of that, and then uh, we'll watch the clip, and then we'll come back, and you can talk about that a little bit. How's that? Lovely. Okay, so let's, uh, let's go to the clip. And for those of you listening on audio, you'll get to hear the audio. And then I went out of the meditation room and I was just walking through the ashram. The Beatles weren't in my mind at all. I was just so relieved not to be in agony. And at one point I looked to my right and about 150 feet away I see John Lennon. And he's sitting at a table and I can tell that Paul is sitting across from him with his back to me. And I walked over and I got to the edge of the table they were sitting at. 
And there were John and Paul and George and Ringo, Patty Boyd, George's wife, Maureen Starkey, Ringo's wife, Cynthia Lennon, John's wife, and Jane Asher, Paul's girlfriend, Mia Farrow, the American actress, Mike Love of the Beach Boys, Donovan, the Scottish folk singer, and Mal Evans, the Beatles' roadie. And John looked up at me and I just said, may I join you? And he said, sure, mate, pull up a chair. Okay. That's pretty wild. I mean, you know, you're, you're, as Tony said, you're a Beatle fan and now you're searching for something and you have the added plus of now meeting the Beatles in a setting where it's not girls screaming and going nuts and they're relaxed. They must have, you know, they, they were there a few days prior to you. Uh, and now, so they're relaxed. Do you think maybe if, if you would have gotten there the first day that they did, you wouldn't have been as welcomed? I, I think I would have still been turned away. I think, you know, I never did ask, but did I get in after eight days? I, I, I do know, by the way, because I know someone today who was inside, who was one of the people inside helping Raghavendra with all the setup. And, and he was a meditator, too. And he's a lovely guy who lives outside New York. Uh, and, and he's told me, he told me that while I was outside for eight days, Raghavendra was lobbying to get me in. Wow. With, with the Maharishi. It had nothing wow. to do with the Beatles at all. It was, that, this was not about them. So, you know, in that sense, it was like, again, just another blessing. But um, you were welcomed into their group when, at that table. Right. When he said, sure, mate, if they had not been a little bit uh, acclimated. Yes, acclimated. Perfect word. Thank you, Tony. If they weren't as acclimated, um, would you would would John may have said to you, you know, go away? <laughs> you think he uh, wouldn't have been as welcoming at that table meeting? You know, I I one who knows Two, right. probably not, because at least in the week I spent with them, John was. A darling. He was funny, bright, kind, playful, dry wit, uh, mischievous. So would he have would he have said, you know, go away? Probably not. He's he the John I met had a very lovely heart. That's great. And you were you were at that point, you know, considering why they were there, and they were there obviously, you know, looking for something. I think I would imagine you came off to them as a fellow searcher. You know, you were outside the party, quote unquote, but you were yeah. uh, nothing more or less than a fellow searcher. I would think so. And and because they would have had to have known that the Ashram was restricted. I mean, because of who they are, right, as, as Lewis Lapham says so beautifully in the film, they were not just the foremost famous people because of their music, but also because of their personalities. Yeah. And, and the fact is that that those personalities were there, whether they'd been there one day or, or the eight days. So I suspect it would have gone the same. Interesting. Well, uh, the, the photos you've taken have been around for a long time, but why did you decide to make the movie now? Um, you know, or was, is there, was there a deadline you thought about how this movie would play if, it, if you made it five years now or five years earlier? Um, good question. It's, it's sort of happenstance in the sense that so 
So when I got home, so first of all, as, as I say in the movie, um, well, I don't know if I said this in the movie, but um, after sitting with them, after they took me into their group, really, they just all took me in. I was like, now I sat around with them for a week and there was no us and them, right? Um, I, told, I tell that little story in the film near the end of the film, which was really fun for me to tell about how there was no, uh, we're a beetle and you're not. Remember, and I, I had done a television series as a producer with Disney, and I actually had a high Disney executive literally say to me, after all, we're Disney, and you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, they still uh, say that. <laughs> well, maybe, but, but with John, Paul, George, and Ringo, there was none of that. There was no, we're a beetle and you're not. They were so kind and playful and down to earth and of course, part of that has to do with who they were yeah. and the stage they were at in their own lives. And part of it has to do with if they were in a, a secluded setting. They, they, when I was waiting outside the gate for eight days, what was happening? Well, the world's press came every day. There were 20 to 30 press people arrived every day at the gate. Wow. They, can we get in? We want to interview the Beatles. No, the ashrams closed. So the Maharishi came out once a day and gave a press conference <clears throat> so, they could, so they could get their material and go away. One of the most interesting things was the American model actress who was then the most famous model in the world, like the top paid model, was Marisa Berenson. In fact, I just got her email or her manager's email and wrote and said, hey, I met you at the ashram. I may never hear back. I haven't heard back. But at any rate... She came with her boyfriend, Baron Von something was his name, <laughs> and two suitcases of high fashion. Vogue had sent them to do a photo shoot with the Beatles in the ashram. <sighs> so the ashram's closed. You know, people have the funniest ideas wow. what to do. So, <laughs> the, you know, Lewis Lapham got in because he waited outside the gate for three days. So that's how Lewis and I became good friends as we sat together for three days, each of us waiting to get in. He actually got in before me because <laughs> of he was from writing a big double story for the Saturday Evening Post. That's something. So, so why, why did you make it now and not earlier? Or, uh, you know, obviously the, the story's been there, the picture's I've been around for a while. So why at this moment did you decide, okay, I got to do it, um, make this movie? Well, it's, it's uh, thank you for reminding me of the question. <laughs> no, no, you, it's okay to go off a tangent. That's okay, that's great. Yeah. So, so there's two pieces to it. One, when I took the pictures and, and they were taking pictures like a family outing, they were like brothers, seriously. In fact, you could feel that the four of them were an inner circle and the partners were one circle out. They were close, very close, but the four of them were a different family than the eight of them, so to speak. And you could feel that, and it was very beautiful to see how they playful, how playful and loving and affectionate they were with each other. Not loving in the sense of giving hugs, not yeah. that kind, you know. Maybe it's true that the Brits are a little, <laughs> you know. So, um, excuse me a sec. Sure. And um, by the way, this isn't beer. I don't drink beer. This is tea. <laughs> Very nice. That's a lot of tea. I'm surprised we're not getting bathroom <laughs> breaks. <laughs> so um, um, 
what happened was I took the pic I, and when I saw them taking pictures after a couple of days, I just asked each of them individually, do you mind if I take the odd picture? And they were all like, oh, go ahead. And I could have taken hundreds. I had film. I didn't think of it, literally. So I only took out my camera twice. So why am I making the film now? I haven't forgotten the question again. Um, <laughs> so what happened was I came home. I was broke. I had learned meditation. It was a miracle. The agony of the heartbreak gone in one 30-minute meditation. Who knew, right? Who knew? Wow. And remember, meditation and yoga in 1968 was barely known in the West. It was known, but not common knowledge, not commercially what it is today. And I wanted to write an article for the Canadian magazine to say, hey, whoa, there's this thing, meditation, try it, it's fantastic. And I was broke and needed money to rent a flat. And the magazine wanted the story and the pictures, which nobody had at the time. So I did that, but I never took the pictures to do anything with them. What my daughter says in the movie is true. When I found them, and she said that after 32 years of having put them away and forgetting about them, out of sight, out of mind, and then she says to me when I found them and showed them to her, she was 16, they're really great, Dad, you should do something with them. And then I still thought about it. How do I feel about doing something with it? And I got that inner voice answer. And the answer was, yeah, that might be fun. That was the answer to my inner voice. Your inner voice sounds really intelligent. <laughs> all of ours. All of our inner voices. Mine not so know, much. The only, thing, the only thing one needs to remember is there's, there's two inner voices. It's that thing about the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. We all have a negative ego and a positive ego. The positive ego is not the inflated, I'm the best in the world. That's crap. <laughs> and the negative ego is the one that always makes us feel bad. But so that, that inner voice, think of it as the angel on your shoulder, whatever that is. Sure. So in terms of the film, I, I put the pictures away, forgot about them for 32 years, showed them to my daughter. Then I made, did one of my books. And I did it for the fun. It wasn't to, listen, when I did my first book, this this I'm stumbling here trying to explain something. That's and right. here's the way to explain it. My two best friends, my first wife, my first wife was East Indian. I never told her I met the Beatles in India. It wow. was something, it was something that was never about using it as a party story ever. It was never about, oh, I met the Beatles in India. Aren't I great? Aren't I fortunate? I, I, I. It was never about that. It was a life-changing, precious experience that changed my life. Meditation did. Talking with George did. Like I said in the film, talking to John was life-changing. Hanging out with the four of them. So what happened was that, that after I did those books, and I, I thought about a long time, it just kept coming back to me, that there was a film to make about meditation creativity, and the inner journey that George first sang about, right? Within you, without you, tomorrow never knows, which, of course, was John, right? And, and I thought it was so life-changing for me that the Beatles sang Tomorrow Never Knows. That opened a door in my psyche. The first time I ever heard Tomorrow Never Knows, I was lying with Tricia. You saw it in the film. On the front lawn, uh, you know, we were both a little high. I didn't say that in the film. And, um, Exclusive. And, and I hear tomorrow never knows and the song ends. And I think, what are they talking about? What are they talking about? Right. 
Turn off your mind, float downstream. It is not dying. Go towards the void and the light. It's like, what are they talking about? So the Beatles, I thank them for opening a door in my psyche that there is something within us. Mm. There is an inner journey. It is, there is a divine, I would say, divine presence. So when the 50th anniversary was coming around, here's the answer to your question. I'm sorry, it took a little while to get here. Okay. When the 50th anniversary was coming, I thought, well, that's motivating me to do this film I've been thinking about for a decade, which was I'd like to do a film about how come they were so creative at the ashram. They wrote, as you see in the film, Mark Lewisian, who's wonderful, yeah. says there's only, they wrote probably 30 songs at the ashram because that's all we can find. And I say, well, they wrote 48 at the ashram because Paul told Dennis O'Dell that, right? Who was the head of Apple film. So for me, it's like, whoa, how was that creativity so unleashed? And of course, David Lynch answers it in the film. Meditation opens a conduit within you that allows for an expansion of your creativity. So I wanted to make a film about meditation, creativity, the inner journey, you know, heart and soul. And then it just, I couldn't get it done in time for the 50th anniversary, which is why it's done now. Right. The, oh, go ahead. Mitch. Go ahead, Tony. I was just going to ask you, you know, you brought up Paul and you mentioned in the film too, that you were essentially, you know, raised as an atheist. But when it comes to TM, there is, and, and obviously you're in India, you know, there is such a, a spiritual presence. And with TM, you're talking about, you know, going into, as you say, like the souls, you're hearing the soul's voice. You've got, you know, I was putting my notes down. You have a song like The Inner Light, which you heard for the first time before anyone else did, which has, you know, parts of the, the Tao Te Ching in it. Do you find that, for people who have any interest in TM, especially after seeing the film, people who do practice Judeo-Christian or Muslim belief systems or, or are atheist or agnostic at this time, does TM sort of come in and it, it, it is capable of, you're capable of experiencing the type of things everyone's experience is going to be different, but the type of experiences that you experienced, no matter what your, your spiritual belief system is when you go in, or is that, was that changed for you also? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, let's, I'd like to come at that from a sort of bird's eye view. Absolutely. There is one God. Now, that's a simplification. God is not a guy, by the way, just to let us know. God is masculine and feminine energy, divine energy, pure love. It's not a guy. We may draw him as a guy, but he's not a guy. God is universal love. And, and from that and from the experiences of different cultures around the world, we're born different ways to honor, different ways to experience, different ways to transcend. So in, you know, in Zen Buddhism, you solve the puzzle of the koan and, and you have the enlightenment experience. And in, in uh, Hinduism, you, you have the nirvana experience. In Christianity, you have the, the awakening to Christ and you're filled with Christ. It's all the same thing. You know, it's all the same thing that we fight over it is the craziness of the human being, you know. Yes. Someone said to me, a very wise uh, guide, guide. He, I, he's a guru, but he's not a guru because he doesn't play that game. And he happens to be an American. He's a very wise guide. He said to me, 
you know, God got us. That's how I refer to masculine feminine. God got us. Never intended this human journey to be so painful. Never intended for us to be killing each other. Never intended for us to be screwing up the planet. God got us. We're creating whatever we are as a species for the joy of creativity and the exploration of love. I had a friend give me a real gift in my 20s. She said, you know, this is earth school, Paul. This is earth school. It's all about love. <laughs> wow. That changed my life, right? No one had ever told me that. My teachers didn't say it. Yeah. Right? My parents didn't say it. So I think the answer is that every great religion and many other belief systems have their methods of being one with everything, being one with divine love. And it can be Buddhist chanting or it can be Christian prayer. In a sense, it's all the same. It's a, and so meditation to me is really simple. It's a key, like prayer and chanting are keys. They're a key to the inner, deeper self. They're a key to the heart and soul. And meditation with mantra-based meditation is a very simple key. It works terrifically well, as other ways work terrifically well. So for me, meditation's got nothing to do with Hinduism, though it's associated with it. But it's not about Hinduism. It's not Meditation's not religious at all. I, I'll bet you it predates Hinduism. I'll bet. Probably. You sure. know, that was beautiful. Thank you, Paul. The... When I watch, I want to get to another clip, but just before I wanted to express to you, when I saw the film for the first time, because I watched it a few times, because there's a lot to take in, even though it's like 82 minutes, there's a lot packed into that 82 minutes other than just you meeting the Beatles. And I think the intent of the film is not just you meeting the Beatles, as you said. Uh, I think a lot of people will come away with, you know, uh, maybe a, a, an eagerness to search out as well. But what I found, you, you interviewed a few musicians in India, and they were talking about 1963 being changed by Please Please Me. And then later on, the Beatles are changed by India. So I immediately was struck by this, by this almost like a, the, the spirit God saying, or guides saying, you know, well, you guys have given us a lot. Now we're going to give it right back to you. You know, uh, and, and you're going to learn something from us. So it I mean, I may be wrong and there's no wrong or right here. But that's my, I was immediately struck by the fact that it was a wheel circle of giving around. karmic wheel goes around a and around. karmic wheel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I mean, I, that's true. And I, I agree with you. And I think that's a very cool and smart observation, really. And I think that this is always simultaneous. And I think it's happening all the time. You know, my sweetheart, Annie, who is the most emotionally intelligent, most genuinely joyful person I've ever met. We're having dinner out at a restaurant tonight, outdoors, socially distancing. <laughs> and the young, the young server, young woman, is, is a joyful person. And Annie says to her, it's wonderful, you're so joyful. Now, people don't usually talk that way to each other. Right. And, and the, the young woman just glowed. She blossomed. She opened up. Someone saw her. We want to be seen. So I think these things are happening all the time. We just have to slow down, wake up, allow ourselves to be vulnerable. In a sense, open-heartedness is a vulnerability. So, yeah, I think it's true. The, the Beatles were highly impacted by India and Indian meditation and George's love of the sitar. 
and and the two musicians or the one musician and one historian and the other musician uh, Harry Prashad Chorazia who played with the with Dark Horse and played on the on the Dark Horse album and toured with George a bit and played on the Inner Light I mean he said George was a musical saint so he just wanted to be with him and learn from him yeah and this was this was he is the most famous classical bon, bon, um, bonsai flute player in India. So he was learning from George, and George was learning from Ravi. Yeah, it's, it all goes around. Cycle there, yeah. I mean, you, Paul, you you worked, you know, you worked with with Mark and Mark is in the film for uh, quite a bit of the second half of the film. Should say Mark Lewison. And Mark Lewison, yeah. Um, did you? I mean, from from watching, and we're we're all friends with Mark, so it's like, but but um, you know, did, what was it like experiencing India in this way through someone else's eyes? You were bringing this this person in who had been, you know, you ask him the question about how long he's it's how long he's wanted to go there, and you were sharing this experience with someone who is a, a Beatles historian and et cetera. And uh, what was it like sort of experiencing someone else and watching what they were? Because I'm sure that Mark took something away from this greater than I know more about the Beatles now. So what was it like being part of that with someone and, oh, at that level? It was wonderful. It was wonderful. I had, I had met Mark very briefly at a Beatles week in Liverpool some years ago, 10, 10 years ago. I can't remember, but enough years ago. And and to be on the road with him and to be filming and exploring his knowledge of of the Beatles and 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 his taking pleasure at this return trip with me, which he was. It was like all of a sudden we were brothers. All of a sudden we were brothers. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. And to see, you know, to hear him talk, I'm learning. I'm just soaking up what he's saying about the Beatles and creativity and their journey, because. You know, I'm a fan of the music. I don't study their lives. Well, he studied everything, right? Yeah. So it was it was a thrill for me, and it was a thrill for him. He had been wanting to go to the Ashram. I said, how long have you been wanting? You remember that scene yeah. in the train yeah, station? Sure, yeah, yeah. I say, how long have you been wanting to go to the Ashram? He says, oh, 50 years. <laughs> you know? well, we and actually... We have and a he's clip. About 55 years old, right? Right. <laughs> just, we want to show a clip because there's a, a lot of poignant uh, moments with you and Mark. Uh, one of them, which we'll talk about after the clip. But let's show the clip for those of you on audio. You'll listen uh, to this clip. Well, Paul, what do you say we promenade by the Ganges? <laughs> I've been waiting a long time to come here. It's such a wide river. Just come, it comes down from the mountains pretty much here, right? This is where it, it, it enters the plain. Well, in the Ganges, the Gangama, the holy, the holy river that people come to bathe in and clean up your sins, so to speak. Right, yeah. okay. Well, I better go for a long bath then, hadn't I? Do you want to deal with your sins? <laughs> Do you want to deal with your sins now or later? Uh, we'll, we'll get them over with now, I think, yeah. Okay. In fact, to clean up your karma. Yes. You know, lifetimes of karma. Have you bathed in it before? It's cold. I don't bathe in it often. <laughs> well, I can see you getting more pure. By the second. <laughs> well, you've just been kissed by Gangama, okay. Mother Ganges. Ashram is actually right across there in the hills. So we'll just come down, get a boat. 
the footbridge must be around here then. There it is right there. That to Very me cool. is amazing. Uh, first of all, the, we should say that there's a lot of archival footage, whether it was taken by you um, or by Ringo, I know you said Ringo was filming a lot, or just newsreel footage that is incorporated into it, which I loved. Yeah. Again, that scene, especially uh, while, while Mark is cleansing, uh, you see the Beatles cleansing, which is, is so important. It, it adds context to everything and yeah. makes it seem not 1968, but, you know, 2020, because I can do the same thing. Yes. I can go there now and cleanse the same way the Beatles did, the same way millions of people have done other than the Beatles and, and hopefully, you know, feel that exuberance. So I'd, I'd love you to talk a little bit about uh, what the experience was for you again going uh, and especially again with Mark. So, Well, it was <clears throat> it was it was precious. I mean, that scene by the Ganges that we just saw and or just heard. Mark is just oh, what a beautiful human being he is. Yeah. You know, well, I guess I better wash away my sins now, right? <laughs> and and can you imagine how I was excited? Now, the people who only heard this and, and on radio and didn't see it, the scene is, a, is intercut. There's Mark and me, and he's washing his face, and I'm washing my face at the Ganges. But I found footage, or my film researcher, thank God, bless her soul, found footage of the Beatles at the edge of the Ganges, washing their face. So we're intercutting Mark washing his face and George is washing his face. I'm washing my face and John is washing his face. Oh, and, and it was just, you know, I was so excited to find that footage. So, you know, going back with Mark was seeing it through different eyes for me. You know, it's just when you share something, it, you, you both kind of gain, you know, I think. And again, I come back to love. It really is about love, you know, the we say love makes the world go round, but we don't realize it's actually a law of physics. It's a law of physics. So, you know, Mark, Mark and I are walking along. We're enjoying each other's companies. There's, there's a love there, you know, in the, in the generic word, use of the word love, a companionship, a joy. We're sharing an experience. So I'm seeing it partly through Mark's eyes as a new experience for me. Well, That's we had interviewed right. Mark a while ago, and he said, one of the things about his writing of his books, he wanted to find out what really happened with, uh, with the Beatles in India and, and, and Rishikesh. And so when I see Mark hanging out with you and, and he's explaining things and you're explaining things, it was really a good combination of two different angles looking at the same thing. I thought it was, to me, it was, a, it was my favorite part of the movie. And, and especially when you got, you're pointing out, okay, uh, you know, so-and-so slept here, so-and-so slept here, and you realize it's very close to each other. You, 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 yeah. I mean, for, for me, I've never seen any pictures or maps of where they stayed. Obviously, we've seen your pictures, but it, it, you don't picture where, how close or far away they were actually, to, you know, among each other. You know, we know, we know what happened after India, but we don't know what happened in India as much. And I think just by you guys walking in the ashram yeah. and pointing out things. It was, it was, I thought it was very, very good. Yeah. Oh, terrific. Good, good. I, I was, you know, I was so much wanting to, it's why early in the film, when I'm looking at the old records in my garage, <clears throat> which was fun to do. I hadn't, I, like I said, in the film, I hadn't pulled out those records in, I don't know, 30 years. Right. And, um, and saying I was, I was hoping to take you, the viewer, with me to, re to visit the ashram, to share it. Again, it's to share the joy. I have a 
I have a hobby. I say a hobby because it's not my profession. I have a hobby and I lead small tour groups to India. I've done it four times. Oh, wow. Small groups totaling 64 people. And it's a joyful exploration of India from the very southern tip up to Rishikesh. We end at Rishikesh. We have three days to just chill and hang and go to the ashram and do a meditation at the ashram and all that stuff. So, yeah, the whole the whole thing of going back was a, a, a gift beyond a gift, right? The first gift was being there in the first place. And then to go back, whoa. You said you uh, pulled out the camera twice. Right. Um, was there ever a time during those two, two times when you were shooting the photos that they thought you were getting maybe a little too close at all? I mean, anything? Would, did they ever, like, stop you and say, hey, you know, not right now? Never. And, and again, that's a great question because, and I kind of address it in a, in a slightly oblique way in the film in the sense of saying, you know, that, that when you're that famous and you're that rich, you have to have your guard up because people will try and take you. They'll try and they want something from you. Right. And, and I should say that the magic of the meditation went right back to my first meeting with them. So as I'm walking out and you saw on, or you heard in that clip of when I first meet the Beatles, what I don't say is as I'm walking through the ashram and I'm in a state of bliss from the first meditation. And George later said to me, when we sat alone, he said, I get higher meditating than I ever did on drugs. And I knew what he meant. I've done drugs and my first meditation, 30 minutes, and I'm in a state of bliss. Who knew, right? So I'm walking through the ashram after coming out of that meditation. I'm not thinking of the Beatles at all. I swear they were not in my mind at all. I was just so relieved not to be in pain. And when I see them sitting at the cliff or at the table by the cliff, what happened in me was I didn't think Beatles. I just found, I literally mean this, I found myself curving towards them. I just was curving towards them. And I get, oh. halfway, I get halfway to them and I notice, oh, my heart's beating a little faster, literally detached. I'm in a state of bliss, so I'm not caught up in the thinking. Right. I'm just noticing. So when I, was, when I was first with them and we started joking, and this was John, like, being playful with me, you know. So you're American then, he says, as you heard in the film, you know. So you're American then. And he's not complimenting me. He's, being, he's playing the note of a superior Brit to the lower Yankees who used to be their colony, right? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so that whole, that whole joking with them, the whole joking with them and and just being in this altered state they never were famous to me at the ashram it was never famous it's the most interesting thing literally as i say in the film within 30 seconds i stopped seeing them as the beatles i spent a week with them i didn't even think to get my picture with them and i we were buddies for a week. i could have had autographs i could have had pictures it's not that I thought, oh, I'd like a picture. No, I better not ask. I literally didn't think the thought. And I believe that that's why the pictures are so intimate, and that's why my experience with them was so lovely. They could feel I didn't want anything from them. You were so, co oh, so co-travelers on a tour bus. It just happened to be a very spiritual tour bus. Exactly. <laughs> it's really what it was. You know, you, you mentioned, Paul, the humor aspect, that they were joking. And, you know, again, for those folks who only heard the clip, 
You see Paul washing his underarms, you know, at the Ganges with a smile and a, and a, and a, a joke and a, you know, a laugh in his, you know, in his demeanor and his look. And it strikes me that I think a lot of people who look at TM or look at it, it think uh, because when you see some of the interviews with John and George, there's a, a famous interview with David Frost where they talk about TM and they're very serious. But it seems so much of it seems to be about the lightning of the spirit and the lightning and, and humor seems to be such a really big part of your experience there. And, and, and the Maharishi, as you mentioned, was always laughing and giggling. And do you think people sometimes take the, the meditation idea that there's it, this so seriously when really that there's a lot of humor and a lot of, you know, lightness to the idea? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's joy possible in everything. We can be light as a species. We can be heavy as a species. <laughs> right. We can dance, we can dance together and sing each other's songs, or we can kill each other. One is light, one is real heavy. Um, I think in that sense, the meditation, um, I think the meditation is a process that brings you into such a connection of heart and soul, and I would say divine presence, that there is a joyfulness around it. There is a joyfulness around it. And I'm sure in whatever religion you are, you know, my sweetheart, Annie, to go back to her for a minute, she grew up in Oakville in the United Church, and she sang in the choir, and she talks about the joy of singing in the choir, right? Sure. So that's sure. a different form of right. uh, touching into that part of each of us. You know, someone once said to me, you know, Paul, he said, Paul, you know, creativity is unlimited. There's no end to it. And love is unlimited. There's no end to it. If we could only live with the concept that there's no end to the resources on the planet, we just need to distribute them much more fairly, right? There's no end to the, we could, as David Lynch says, you know, we're, we're really meant to be, you know, being happy campers, going off into a glorious future together. That's what we're supposed to be doing on this trip. Mm -hmm. Well, all you need is love, as uh, <laughs> somebody think, once really. said. Um, exactly. Well, what was your impression of, of the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi? Um, you, you listen to him, and he has that high-pitched voice, and it's, <laughs> I don't, you know, it's, it's a little off-beat. You expect him to have more of a, a regal voice about <laughs> you know, that type of thing. And he has his little, like, this voice. What was your impression of him? And... Were you shocked later on when John really oh. Yeah. Um, well, my impression of him was, one, he's sincere. Two, he's playful. Three, he has a good sense of humor. Four, he is devoted to world peace and teaching a method of getting there through meditation. I never, I never got a sense of him. Some of the people around him, some of the, you know, a few of the people that took a more marketing approach, and I don't mean they were only marketing, but, you know, they were, they were trying to spread the word, but they came out of, you know, almost the American marketing mind, sort of New York marketing mind. Um, not a lot, but a little. There were some things said, you know. Um, but I think he was a pure being. And... And what happened when John wrote Sexy Sadie and I heard it, I thought, 
I wonder what that's all about. I did not go to, wow, so the Maharishi wasn't real. I didn't sense in my tummy that what was being said about him was true. I don't know why. I just didn't sense that because of the feeling I got. And, of course, it came out later when George and Paul went with Deepak Chopra to talk to the Maharishi. I think Paul was on that trip with them. I can't remember. But George and Deepak Chopra. And George went to apologize on behalf of the Jahi and John storming out. And, and Deepak says, you know, the, George says, tells him the real story. And George says, I just didn't want to lie. George could have said, I just didn't want to lie anymore. Right. Because George never believed that the Maharishi had been sexual with an American woman, which was part of the story. Or that he ate, or that he ate chicken when he was supposed to be vegetarian, and it's it's now known. It's now the New York Times did a big investigation into Alex Maradas, right? Well, let's and not just, give away too much. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because I'll tell you why. Because that to me was very revelatory at the end with you and Mark. So I don't. I want to. You know what? We're going to do a plug for selling the film. So I, <laughs> I want people to actually, it, it really was revelatory. And, and yeah. it comes toward the end and, and you, you're both sitting with each other, enjoying each other's company. You know, you from a, a, a perspective of actually being there, Mark from an archival perspective and being able to explain things that maybe you weren't privy to uh, only because of his research and, and us as fans, I mean, I've been a fan since I'm two, I'm 58 now. Uh, you know, I didn't know any of this. So, you know, we always heard about the um, alleged things going on, but all of a sudden you're sitting park and revelations come up. So let, I want people to, uh, to watch the film to see what we're talking about. Yeah. So don't give any of that away. It's I thought that was actually brilliant, a perfect way to, you know, ease into the end of, of the film. Yeah. Um, and to clarify that that situation yeah. in a way that we really never had had it clarified before. But, you know. I'm sorry. By the way, our friend Alan Kozer wrote that article for the Times. Oh, so, that's yeah. right. The Alan. Yeah, that's right. That was Alan's piece. Yeah, he's um, a good guy, too. Okay. The, you know, you know I, I know that uh, we don't want to keep you too too long, Paul, but. I'm good. You know, you you uh, you were there with a couple of other folks. and It's interesting, obviously, the, the focus because the photos <laughs> and things like that, but. Mike Love has always continued to talk about TM. Donovan was there. How were your experiences with them outside of the Beatles and the connection to the Beatles? Did you connect at all really with Brian or Donovan? Because they must have been sort of on their Mike own in a way. What's that? Uh, uh, Mike and Donovan. Did I say Brian? Yeah. Uh, no, with, with Mike and Donovan. I mean, like I say, they were kind of lone wolves in a way. They were part of the group, but they were outside of that immediate circle, as you say. So did right. you find any connection with them, really? Um, a little bit with Donovan. Um, you know, we had some conversations, and we were, we were in the same crowd. Um, we, I met him at a Beetlefest in New Jersey 30 years later and had a wonderful three hours in his room as we talked and compared notes, and he sang. And, you know, he's a real troubadour. He's sitting with his guitar, and he puts it down, and he picks it up, and he strums, and he sings, and we're talking, and it's like three hours of this. It was really quite wonderful. Does he still practice, Paul? I, do, I think so, yes. I do think he still meditates. Um, and I believe Mike Love is still much into meditation. Yeah. Mike and I didn't have a connection. And um, I tried talking to him twice, and he seemed distracted um, by the famous Beatles. 
Wow, um, so interesting. There wasn't really a way to connect with each other. Mia, I had a lovely connection with. Um, and, and interestingly enough, you probably know this, what I discovered was Mia was there for the same reason I was, to heal a broken heart, to learn meditation. She had come out of the marriage with Frank Sinatra. She was fragile. She was broken, like I was broken from the heartbreak. And so that was her. And apparently Prudence said, you know, come to India with us is how that happened. So, and Mia was, Mia, by the way, the Mia I knew, and again, you know, I only knew these people for a week. She was so bright, intelligent, kind, gentle, um, no egocentric stuff at all. Mm. And that was, that was true of each of the women, Jane, Cynthia, Patty, Maureen, very kind, dear people. You know, there was no, Jenny, there was no like, uh, well, we're along with the Beatles and you're not tight. None of that. None of that. Paul, was there any reason why you just mentioned, you know, positive experiences with Mia and Donovan recently? Is there any reason why they weren't using the movie? Uh, did they not want to be in it? Or do you decide as a, you know, as the person putting this together, we'll just focus on the Beatles? Uh, good question. One, I spent 12 years trying to get the Beatles to work with me on the film, and it was no, maybe, maybe later, maybe later, maybe, I don't know. Go away. That was, that was my relationship with Apple. Um, with Mia, I reached out. I wanted to have her in the film. No, thank you. Prudence, I reached out. No, thank you. Donovan, I reached out. No, thank you. He was making his own film oh, called, yeah. uh, On the Road to Rishikesh. Yeah. Uh, Mike Love was, I reached out to, and we were going to do an interview, and then he couldn't get up to L.A. In the, in the window that I had with the crew in L.A., he, I think he was in San Diego, perhaps, and he said, come down here, and I couldn't get down there because I couldn't take, there was a sound person with us, and she couldn't make that. It was just passing in the night. Legit. So I, I asked all of them, all of them. I wanted all of their sort of, how did it affect you? How was it? How did it impact your creativity? How did it impact your heart and your life? I wanted to ask all of them those questions. Yeah. Are you, uh, before we let you go, and we do want to talk about where, where to get the film and anything else, uh, your website and everything, but obviously you're still practicing, correct? Well, being young and, uh, you know, I practiced for a while, then I stopped, then I practiced for a while, then I stopped. Then I learned another form of meditation that I like very much. So I'm not, I don't have the kind of self-discipline where I meditate every day. But I can tell you, I talk to my higher self every day. I do. And I, and I hear my higher self talk back with me every day. So that's, that's how I do it. And yes, I still meditate using one of two methods, either TM or the other method. Have you, you open the doors. The doors are open. It's like the talk about the doors of perception after drug, you know, people who you talk, talk to from the 60s who said, well, we used acid, but we felt we only needed to do it once. It opened the doors. So I guess the fact you've been practicing for such a long time in different methodologies is the door is open. You can sort of make that, you know. <clears throat> sure. So where, did you did you keep in touch with any of the Beatles after you left? I mean, had you had contact with any of them up to today? Obviously, George and John are no longer with us, but uh, Paul and Ringo, or even John and George when they were with us? Uh, yes, yes, sort of. Um, <laughs> um, first of all, as I was leaving the ashram and literally at the table saying goodbye, and Ringo and Maureen were leaving at the same time, Mal was 
Mal called two taxis. One was for him, Maureen and Ringo. And the other was for me and two friends of Donovan's, Gypsy Dave, about the, who was the song Hey Gyp was written about and Gypsy Dave and Gypsy Dave's wife. Um, and, and as I walk away and there's these warm goodbyes and I turn and walk away and John says, hey, Paul, will you send us some of your pictures? And I turn back to the table and I say, sure. And Jane Asher says, here, take my home phone number. If you call Apple, you'll never get through to them, right? <laughs> Hi, my name's Paul, and John wants some of my pictures. Click. <laughs> We're too busy with the Hells Angels. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so what happened there was that after I came back from India, I got a job working on the first IMAX film, and we were going to be shooting in London. And I couldn't afford I was still not rolling in any money at all. I couldn't afford color prints. So I printed up four black and white film poster size, you know, 39 inch by 27 mm -hmm. inch. I chose my favorite portraits of each of them. And I called Jane in London and we met for half an hour in Kensington uh, and had a cup of tea, lovely woman. And I didn't even think of giving her my card and saying, hey, give my card to them. And the reason was really simple. I remember the thought. These guys don't need new friends. Their lives are crazy. Mm. Yeah. So I never tried to reach out. Yeah. Now, then what happened was that in 2009, when they did the benefit for the David Lynch Foundation at the Radio City Music Hall. I was there. I, you were there, and I think it was the first time that Ringo and Paul played on the yes. same screen together. Correct. So I'm sitting at home right here where I am now, and the phone rings, 2009. And a woman says, hello, is this Paul Saltzman? Yes, the Paul Saltzman who was in Rishikesh. I say, yes, who is this? <laughs> wow. And, and she introduces herself as the person in charge of audiovisual for Paul's company. And she says, Paul asked me to phone you. I said, sweet. And she <laughs> said, Paul's going to be doing this concert. I hadn't heard about it yet. And the second to last song, Cosmically Conscious, and Paul would like to use your pictures to create a sideshow for the backdrop. Would that be possible? And I say, yes. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened next, word for word. I'll act it out a little bit. <laughs> I say, yes. She says, how much will that be? And I say, nothing, gratis. I wouldn't have these pictures if it wasn't for their, their generosity. Silence. <laughs> Silence. It was that long. Silence. I kind of say, why does that surprise you? This has never happened before. <laughs> so called that title. What do you mean? Well, when people hear it's Paul McCartney, they want a lot of money. Well, I understand, but I don't want any, but on one condition. And she says, what's that? And I said, you give me a copy of the slideshow that you create for that event so I can put it in my archives. And it's in the University of Toronto archives with my archives. Oh, that's great. That's great. Oh, wow. That was that was Paul. I tried to get to Paul to speak about this film for years, and I couldn't get to him. He was supposed to meet me in Toronto when he was performing two shows at the Air Canada Centre two days in a row, and a, a meeting was teed up. I said, I need 20 minutes with him to talk about a film project. Okay, he's agreed. I'm in the green room. And there's other groups in the green room, which surprised me, but, but fair enough, including his, his dear auntie from Scarborough, Ontario, the other side of Toronto is there. <laughs> and he's running late. He comes in an hour late. And he says, I'm really sorry I'm late. And he, 
you know, let's take a picture together. And he says to his assistant, turns to his assistant, says, book Paul in for tomorrow, me for tomorrow. The next day I got five calls from the assistant. We're running late. We're running late. I'm really sorry. It's not going to happen. CNN has just flown in unexpectedly to interview him. And I could never get that meeting rescheduled. Uh, one, day I get a, one day I get a call from uh, Mark Hudson when my first gallery show came out in New York, which would we have been... We were there. Yeah, we were there with you. Yeah, two, yeah right. 2001, I'm not sure. 2000, I forget. 2001, yeah. And Mark calls me one day and says, I just was at your show with Ringo. I wanted him to see your pictures. I said, cool. He said, Ringo would like one of your pictures. I said, he can have one or all of them, any sizes, no charge, out of respect. I wouldn't have these pictures without the kindness of those four guys, right? Sure. He says he only wants one to the nines, which is the one with the with the Nehru jacket. Right. We discuss we discuss how big he wants, and and I say no problem on one condition. <laughs> I said I come down and give it to him personally, and you take a picture of us because I have no pictures of me with the Beatles because I didn't think of it. Right. He says he says okay. <laughs> So I meet Ringo in a in a in a rehearsal hall in Manhattan. He and the Roundheads and Mark Hudson are rehearsing to be on Good Morning America. Yeah. I sit there and I listen to them rehearsing for 45 minutes, and then they take a break. And Ringo comes over and Mark introduces and we shake hands. And Ringo, very dear, he says, "You must have been 16 years old at the ashram." I said, "No, but thank you." <laughs> so. Then when he was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame, I got a call from one of his people, and it was the same thing. Ringo would like to use some of your pictures at the investiture into the Grammy Hall of Fame. Sure. Use some of your pictures from India. Sure. How much will that be? Nothing. Gratis. And, and a bit of silence on the other <laughs> end. And I said, on one condition. And she said, the woman said, what's that? I said, you give me two tickets for the party opening the thing. And I went with my sweetheart, Annie. And we squeezed through, you, literally, you had to squeeze through people to get yeah. to Ringo in the middle of the room. I, I get to him with Annie. I'm holding her hand as we're squeezing through. And I get to him and I say, hi, Ringo, Paul Saltzman, uh, the, the Beatles in India book and pictures. He's got a blank look on his face. I mean, <laughs> he, may not have, he may not have put it together. That's cool. I don't need him to remember me. I don't sure. need Right. I don't need, you know, I don't need famous people to know who I am or, you know, anybody else per se, you know. And um, and then I say, this is my sweetheart, Annie. And she goes to put her hand out. He moves right in, gives her a big hug, made her day, made her <laughs> week, made her month. And so that was perfect. That was perfect. But do you have the picture of you and Ringo in? I have the picture of me and Ringo. There you go. Finally. <laughs> I know. That's and by the, way, by the way, it was after that, uh, or maybe it was before that, but I eventually found when I was researching for my limited edition books, I found the picture that's in the film, you saw it, where I'm with Ringo. Yes. He's showing me how to work he's his cam camera. Right, the movie right. camera. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason he's showing me how to work it is he said, we want to make a film about the Maharishi and meditation. And I'm not, I'm not going to be in the film because I'm always behind the camera would you shoot some film for me and, I, and I'll then be in it? And I said, sure, great. So that was how that happened. Do we know whatever happened to that footage? I asked him. I asked him. When did I ask him? I asked him when I met him in New York. Uh, I said, whatever happened to that footage? He said, I don't know. 
Well, one one thing I liked about you took the group picture of everyone with the Maharishi, the, the, the famous picture that everyone knows about. And in the movie, you talk about how everyone gave you their cameras. Like you're the guy at the wedding who's not part of the family, but you're going to take the pictures of everyone else. And you had like what five cameras? I had, I had four. I had four. First, it started. It started with Mal saying, "Hey, Paul, will you take some for me? Because he's going to be in the picture." So I've got his camera. George sees that and says, "Hey, Paul, will you take some for me?" Ringo sees that and says, "Hey, will you take some for me?" So I've got those three cameras plus my own Pentax. So I had four cameras around my neck. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great picture. I mean, it's a, it's a famous picture. It's iconic, it's a, yeah, yeah, now. Iconic, yeah. And now it's in the Beatles story. Um, we don't want to keep you, but we want to have, you mentioned your books, uh, and, and we also want people to go out and buy this film um, because obviously you can't see it in the theater at the moment uh, because of the current pandemic in, in September of 2020. Uh, so why don't you tell people where they can get your books, where they can get tickets to this film, uh, which is highly recommended, by the way. And also, Paul, I know that you've got a not-for-profit organization, which is doing yeah. some beautiful things, too. So please let folks know as well how to uh, get to Moving Beyond Prejudice and get in touch with you about that as well. But anyway, so go ahead. Well, thank you very much. So the easiest way, um, there's two ways to get the film. Why don't I just tell you one to make it easy? If okay. you go to my website, if you go to my website, which is called thebeatlesinindia.com, very simple, thebeatlesinindia.com, there's an icon there with the poster for the film. By the way, I love the poster for the film. Have you seen it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was, that, that, yeah. That was a designer in Montreal. The Canadian distributor brought him to the table. It's just a brilliant poster. And you'll see the poster there. You click on it. And that'll take you to the website where you can buy a ticket to watch the film. So the premiere is September 9. It's at 7 o'clock wherever you are. If you're in London, it'll play at 7 in the evening. If, it's, if you're in Hong Kong, it'll play at 7 in the evening. If you're in L.A. or New York. So it's 7 o'clock wherever you are. And then that premiere will be followed by a live Q&A. That'll be me. Uh, Jenny will be on some of them. Mark... Uh, uh, Stephen Maycock will be on some of them. Bungalow Bill, the real Bungalow Bill. Rick yeah, Mal- we didn't even mention that he's in the film, which is great. He's a real person. Yeah. And so there'll be a live Q&A after the screening. And then, then there won't be anything for 48 hours. In that 48 hours, they'll edit the live Q&A. And then from then on, you can go to the same site and you can again screen the film and it'll have a re- pre-recorded Q&A, but it'll still have the sort of highlights of the Q&A. And we should mention, by the way, excuse for one sec, we should mention that the Q&A is being uh, the moderator is Jeff Slate. Yes. Uh, Jeff Slate is a good friend to the show. He actually does a theme song to the show. Uh, And he's a really good friend of all of ours and very knowledgeable. And uh, everybody knows him. So there's a comfort level with Jeff. So I'm sure everybody would love well, we to. We knew a lot of people in this movie. See, yeah. <laughs> we did. Well, <laughs> no, but I'm sure people would love to see Jeff. Uh, because Jeff is really knowledgeable on, on rock and roll in general. So I'm sure he'll be great with the Q&As. But you, continue. We'd love, that. Yeah. We need to well, see how can we get the books and also with uh, your charity. Sure. Well, so that website. Now, I'm, I'm, a little, um, I'm a little in the 20th century here. I'm just being dragged into the 21st century digitally by my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, there's funny in the movie, uh, by the way. 
a thing called earbuds, Dad. And and Dad, there's emojis. So let me make one for you. <laughs> <laughs> so my darling daughter, Deviani, and I love what she, the role she plays in the film because I wouldn't have found the pictures if she hadn't remembered the childhood yeah, she, story. As Rob said, she's great in the film. Oh, yeah. she's great. You guys have a great rapport Rapport, yeah. but it's she's also kind of funny too you know she's she's a broken funny dad a little bit you know oh oh absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. so so there are so the beatles in india.com is the way to get books it's the way to hear about the tours i leave to in, lead to india it's the way to get to buy tickets for the film so you just click on whichever of those things once you get to the website great and and your great. charity Charity is called Moving Beyond Prejudice, and I work with police forces and young people and community groups when I can, and it's using two of my documentaries that I made in Mississippi, um, and it's literally about how can we move beyond prejudice, and the, the surprising thing is it's so easy to move beyond prejudice if you understand the physics of it, and if you understand that the reason to move beyond prejudice is not because you're a nice person, it's because you enjoy life more when you when you move beyond your own prejudices. You meet people you would never meet who are fabulous because you're not judging, right? You're open. <laughs> that was my daughter calling. Her ears are burning. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> no, and it's funny you mentioned moving beyond prejudice because in this day and age right now at this current time uh, a lot of things we, we could we could use uh a little bit of kindness uh a lot of moving beyond prejudice because it seems that the world is just upside down at the moment yeah yep. how, how, how can they find that charity again i think you can find it on my website and you can write me an email on my website too about anything i mean it's, and i i get the emails and i read them and i answer them great well, there's so much we didn't cover, uh, especially well, about the movie. I, I have one more thing. Well, see, Rob is Columbo. <laughs> I don't know if you've Rob. watched Columbo. I have both eyes. Though. But uh, have you ever seen the show Columbo? Yes. Oh, I love it. Well, at the end, he always says, Joe, just one more one thing. One more thing. <laughs> oh, Rob, that's Rob. So he has one more thing. Um, when the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi died, both Paul and Ringo said positive things about him, um, which – I didn't know that they were still in touch with them. And when they sort of gave that impression, they were, had you come across anything with your research with the movie, you know, when maybe putting that at the end of the movie, um, about, uh, when the what Maharishi they passed what, on? They, what they said about the Maharishi after when the Maharishi died a few years ago, I, I didn't, I, I knew some of it, but I didn't, it didn't sort of fit one of the, right. one of the things, and you guys will know this, uh, you know, when you write a story or you make a film or you compose a song, it turns out to have a life of its own and it takes yeah. you where it wants to go. As odd as that sounds, it ends up, and it's literally, if you follow the energy, and I've done a lot of films and I work with people who are really masterful, and we all agree, if you just follow the energy, if you, and, and I'll put it a different way, if you follow the heart of what you're doing, it will take you to better places than you can imagine. Absolutely. What a perfect way to end. Absolutely. We appreciate this very much, Paul. Uh, I'm so looking forward to seeing the panels, seeing how the film does. Hopefully there'll be uh, a, a physical release at some point in the near future. Um, and uh, really, we, we appreciate your time. This is this definitely has been enlightening for all of us. Thank yeah. you. Uh, 
so, and this again, uh, will be up in perpetuity. So you know what, in, in five, 10 years, if people want to still be enlightened, because that's really what the message is here, uh, they can still do that. And hopefully they'll find, you know, you or our and show film. with you right. and the film. Yeah. So uh, we appreciate it very much, Paul. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. And I want to say the same back to you. This has been not just fun. It's been so important. And I thank the three of you. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You, sir. And we will, we will so, catch up with you soon. Lovely. Talk to you soon. Right, thanks thank so much, for everything, Paul. Paul. Take My care. Pleasure. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night. Take Bye. care. Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All. 